them plainly. And this was probably a bombshell for them. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go to him. Just a brief pause here, that little phrase, so that you may believe. It's quite evident that the, the disciples, 11 of them, were born again. They were believers in Jesus at this point, right? But their faith was not as strong as it should be, and that becomes very clear when we get a couple chapters later, right? At the, uh, when they flee, they run from him, they, Peter denies him, they all flee. And so Jesus knew there were things that they needed to grow in. And so he's, he knows this incident with Lazarus and Lazarus' family is going to be an opportunity for their faith to grow so that they may believe. Leon Morris in his commentary quotes uh, a man named Temple who says this, It is hard to know what one's faith is worth till some severe test come. I believe in some measure, of that I am quite sure, but in what measure I do not know, I pray God to do for me or to me or in me whatever will have the result that I may believe. And let's make that our prayer this morning as well. Let's read on here. So Jesus says, let us go to him. And then verse 16. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think that was a rebuke. I think that was an expression of her great faith in Jesus and an expression of her grief. Lord, I know if you had been here, you could have kept him alive. Martha was a woman of great faith. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? 
they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Uh, Her comment makes it clear. She had no expectation of what Jesus was going to do here, right? She had no anticipation, not even an idea that Jesus was going to do what he did. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his voice, his eyes, and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. And wouldn't you have loved to hear Jesus say this? And none of us can do this justice. But Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father. We want you to do in our hearts. Do for us, do to us, do in us, whatever is necessary so that we may believe in Jesus, that we may believe more, that we may trust him and trust you more. So work in us, Lord, this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Going back to verses 21 to 27, our first point this morning is that the resurrection and eternal life are not merely this, but they're this. Jesus is drawing some very subtle contrasts. He's wanting to deepen Martha's understanding. And so Martha had a correct understanding of resurrection, but not a complete understanding. She had a deep faith in God. She knew that death did not lead to annihilation for her brother. But there is something further, something deeper that Jesus needed or knew that she needed to understand. So let's look again. Let's read again verses 21 to 24. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, your brother will rise again? It could have been he meant no more than what Martha thought of, just the orthodox theology of the Jews, uh, that at the last day on the great day of, of resurrection, Lazarus would be raised again. And Martha's confidence in the resurrection on the last day was absolutely right and true, that it was the great hope of all believers. John Patton, who lived in the mid-1800s, was preparing to leave Scotland to go as a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands off of Australia. And he writes, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman 
whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. John Patton replied to this man, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. So that hope in the final resurrection and of our resurrection body is absolutely true. But Jesus is speaking here. He's starting to hint with Martha of something more than merely a far distant hope of resurrection life. He's speaking of something immediate, something that was true right at that moment for Lazarus. But I don't think he was speaking about what he planned to do 45 minutes from then, of of raising Lazarus from the dead. I don't think that's what he was talking about. D.A. Carson calls verse 23 a masterpiece of planned ambiguity, which Jesus often had and John often has, and it forces us to think deeper. Now, really, what really did he mean? Jesus is taking Martha's far future expectation and bringing her to a present realization. When he says then in verse 25, I am the resurrection, and the life. He is saying, resurrection is not merely an event, Martha, something that's going to happen at some point in the future. Eternal life isn't just a commodity, a future possession, a state of being that you're going to get later. The resurrection is an event. It will be a glorious event. But it's not merely an event. And eternal life is our future possession. It is a place, it's a physical reality, but it's much more than that. Resurrection is embodied in a person. Eternal life is a relationship with the person. Eternal life isn't something you're going to get when you die or right before you die, like an entrance ticket to get into heaven or an infusion from the fountain of youth. It's not a commodity. Jesus isn't offering you and me a heavenly life insurance policy to cash in when we depart from this world. D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, Jesus' concern was to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Just as Jesus not only gives the bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, from John 6. So also, he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. Right now, right here, brothers and sisters, we have resurrection life flowing in our veins, so to speak, Because Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection, lives in us. We are united inseparably to to him by faith, through the baptizing and and indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, though our bodies are decaying day by day, and many of us feel that more and more, one day, and one day our bodies will be laid in the grave. But Jesus says that you and I, 
will never die because we have him and he is eternal life itself. Romans 8, 10 and 11, Paul says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the body is dying and, and destined for death, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The ESV study Bible puts it this way. Jesus does not merely say that he will bring about the resurrection or that he will be the cause of the resurrection, both of which are true, but something much stronger. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection from the dead and a genuine eternal life and fellowship with God are so closely tied to Jesus that they are embodied in him and can be found only in relationship with him. So Jesus is bringing Martha a present power, not merely the promise of some future good. And so if you are in Christ this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, and you are joined to, you are connected with invincible life, indestructible life, because of who Jesus is. So in summary of our first point, the resurrection and eternal life are not merely a commodity, a thing, or some future event. They are bound up in the person of Christ, so they are a present reality because we are inseparably linked and united to him. Our second point is three implications for all who believe in Jesus from this statement when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And these three are intertwined. They spill over into each other. Let's read verses 25 and 26 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those, that's one of those seven I am statements in John where, he connect, where, where Jesus connects himself directly with the God of the Old Testament when God appeared to Moses and said, I am who I am. And by these seven statements, Jesus is saying, I am the great I am of the Old Testament. And here, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So point one, sub point one, your union with Christ will be the one great constant in your life. Your union with Christ will be the one and really the only one great constant in your life. John uses an interesting little word when, when in his gospel, believes in me. The preposition in normally would be the Greek pre preposition en, E-N we would spell it, and basically it means in, believes in me is how usually the scriptures um, phrase that phrase, believing in Jesus. But John uses a different, little different preposition. It's the preposition ace. We would spell E-I-S, which means into. And it says, if John is saying, believing in Jesus isn't just believing something about him, but it's a directional thing. Believing in Jesus brings us into him, into union with him. 
And that's what he uses here. Believes into Jesus. It's not, it's not just cognitive, folks, right? We, it's not just assenting to some facts and ideas about Jesus. It's believing into him. We, we are brought into union with Christ because of our faith. And when you are convinced that through simple, your simple but genuine faith in Jesus, you are inseparably united with resurrection life itself, with the great I am, what can possibly shake that? What can shake that? We sing the hymn from time to time before the throne. And the third verse of that hymn goes like this. Behold him there the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. One with himself, the great I am. How can we die if we're connected to resurrection life, eternal life itself? My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. Your union with Christ is the one constant that can never change in all this life. That's what Jesus is saying when he tells Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Paul tells us in Romans 6, Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, it was not possible for death to hold him. And Jesus told Martha, whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So sub point one, this is the one great constant in your life, brothers and sisters. Because you are inseparably linked, inseparably joined to resurrection life itself in the person of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Sub point number two, but let me take it. Point two, your assurance of Christ's indestructible life in you will drive out your fear of physical death. You'll drive out the fear of physical death. Death is our great enemy, and, and it's fearful, and it can whisper threats at us and intimidate us, but it can't have us because our sovereign resurrected Jesus has torn out death's fangs. Some of you know uh, or know that Carol's dad is uh, 96, um, one of the few remaining World War II vets still around, and uh, a lot of health issues, um, but he's still mentally sharp. And one of the things, but, but there are also things that we know, and dad knows, he's, he's near the end. And so dad and I have been spending, uh, when we get together, we often just read verses, read scriptures about heaven and about our, the promise of eternal life. And a couple months ago, Dad told me, I've realized something. I'm not afraid to die. 
oh, I was glad to hear him say that. And we've talked about that in a number of things. Knowing that he is trusting in Christ, he is not afraid to die. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, to depart and be with Christ, that's far better. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. What amazing promises and hope we have. Now Jesus, in John, just a couple chapters earlier from this this incident about Lazarus, he was talking with the Jews and made a similar statement as he said, said to Martha. He told the Jews, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John 8, 51. He will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So they re-paraphrased. Jesus said, you'll never see death, never taste death. I think they mean the same thing. Now, the Jews were absolutely right. Abraham and the prophets did die, right? So what did Jesus mean? He will never taste death. Well, he may have meant, I have so decisively conquered death that when you die, it'll just be like a whoosh right through it as a doorway, the gateway right into heaven. That may be what he means. And and that is glorious news. Or could it mean, and this, this is just a, a could have, could it mean that Jesus is saying, when you come to your death, if you are trusting in him, right when you feel that death is closing its jaws on you and it has you, it doesn't have you. Because instead of dying, that very moment you wake up in heaven. Death will not get you. We will not taste death. Because Jesus has conquered it so much. We we do not need to fear death, brothers and sisters. Because the very thing that we fear most can never happen to us. The moment we get there, we are with the Lord. Absent from this body and present with the Lord. So those are the first two implications of Jesus being the resurrection and the life and us being united to him. He is our one great constant. And then his assurance of Christ's indestructible life will drive out your fear of physical death. And here's the third. The joy of your inseparable inseparable relationship with Christ And his promise of incomparable glories that he has waiting for you will comfort you in all your earthly suffering and loss. That will comfort you, brothers and sisters. Jesus is comforting Martha here in John chapter 11 in the middle of a huge earthly loss. But his answer to Martha in her grief wasn't the bringing back to life of her brother. Because in verses 25 to 27, when, when Martha responds, I believe, she has no indication. She doesn't have the faintest, the foggiest idea that he's going to do that. So Jesus is comforting her with a different comfort than the fact that he's going to raise her brother back to life in just a few minutes. 
His comfort, his answer was himself. Martha, I, I am life itself. I am the resurrection. I am your hope. And then raising Lazarus from the dead was the proof of that truth. Okay, It was the sign that when Jesus said that, he really means that. He really can do that. He was saying, Martha, I'm enough for you in all the pain and loss of this life because I am who I am. And what you will experience because of your faith in me and union with me, I will be sufficient for you. Jesus was offering Martha and us something far better than the resuscitation of her brother. Far better than just the perpetuation of the things we like and enjoy in this life. For her, something far better than the ongoing life of the brother she loved. Lazarus died again, right? He died again. And sometimes I wonder, did Lazarus, was he like, well, this is a bummer. Here I get to heaven and then you're saying I have to go back? Lazarus didn't argue about it, okay? But at some point, Mary and Martha, I don't don't know who died first, okay? Mary and Martha buried their brother again, very likely, right? They wept and mourned again, perhaps at this very same tomb. So Jesus' pope, Jesus' comfort for Martha wasn't in the ongoing life of her brother. Jesus promises a joy, hope and a joy that far transcends just the perpetuation of our earthly pleasures and gifts and good gifts. At Christmas or at birthdays, do you at times have a gift for someone that you are so excited to give them. You, you can hardly wait for them to open it. And really, you're more excited about giving this gift than any gift you'll get, right? And just like, you, you can't wait. And sometimes it's, it's hard not to tell them. You just, I, I want you to know, can we just open it early? I mean, you know, they're just that desire, such a special gift that we have for someone we love. And I want to be careful here not to project things onto our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus that are not appropriate, but just perhaps. How excited is our Heavenly Father and Jesus about the place they have? Not just the place, but about eternal, eternity with them that they have prepared for this. Do you think they're excited about giving that to us? I do. When Jesus, another couple chapters after this, the upper room, the night before he dies, and he's comforting his disciples, he says several times, you're going to sorrow. You're going to grieve because I'm leaving. But here's some of the comfort he gives them. Chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to be with myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And then in chapter 17, he says at the end of his prayer, his, his prayer there to the Father in the upper room, he says, Father, here's something I really want. 
I desire that they also whom you have given me, so he's speaking of the 11 disciples there, and you know who else he's speaking about? Us. Right? Early in the prayer, he said, Lord, I don't just pray for these 11, but for those who will believe through their testimony. So he's talking about us. And he says, Father, I desire that those you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And isn't it amazing that in in about 12 or 18 hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross. And he says, Father, there's something I really want. I want these to see my glory and be with me. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you sent me. I have made them, made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known so that their, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Every one of us has experienced loss, right? Rejection. We feel it. It hurts. We all long to be wanted and desired. And get this, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, the resurrection and the life himself, he says right here in John chapter 17 that he wants you to be with him forever. I can think of a lot of people I don't want to be with. Like That's just our, our human heart there. And, and I can imagine a lot of people saying, you know what? I'll say hello to Phil, but I really don't care to spend a lot of time with him. And I understand that. But Jesus, Jesus says, Father, I want them whom you've given me to be with me forever to see my glory. Because in his presence is overflowing joy. And at his right hand, brothers and sisters, are pleasures forevermore. And he wants you to be there with him to experience that unending joy. So I wonder what Jesus and our Heavenly Father are thinking and feeling when they're about to bring one of us home to glory. Glenn and Joy's son, Joe, his father-in-law passed away about 10 days ago, Glenn. And um, I never met the man, Bill, Bill Peed. Uh, but Glenn has spoken of him on numerous times. Loved the Lord, served the Lord. Many ways loved his family. But these last couple of years have been really difficult. Great suffering. Just his body and mind deteriorating. And I wonder, 10 days ago, what kind of conversations may have taken place between the Heavenly Father and Jesus, as they said. Maybe Jesus said to the Father, Father, I, I can't wait for Bill to see what we have prepared for him here. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus love us with a love. It's so hard for us to believe and comprehend, but, but we need to believe. This is how they feel about us when we're trusting in Jesus. 
we're never going to figure out all the whys of the difficulties and sufferings in this life. There are so many things we go through and we just say, Lord, how do we figure it all out? We can't. We're not going to. But there are some things we should know very clearly because he makes them so clear for us. And, and, And this is one of them. He loves us with an inexpressible love. An eternal love that nothing can ever separate us from. So that's that third subpoint: the joy of your inseparable relationship with Christ and His promise of the incomparable glories that He has waiting for you. That is what will comfort you, brothers and sisters, in all your earthly suffering and loss. And that's what He was offering to Martha, right? He was saying, "I, Martha, I am." the resurrection and the life. I'm not merely, you, there is the great promise of the future resurrection for sure. But there's something better. I'm giving you myself. And then at the end of verse 26, and this is point three, he says this. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And Jesus isn't asking if she believes that he can raise his brother from the grave. Again, she wasn't, she didn't, that wasn't even on her mind. He's not asking her a true-false test about facts or theology. He's asking her, Martha, do you believe that being united to me, the one who is the resurrection and life, that that's a much greater comfort even than that future last day when your brother will be raised to life again? The resurrection and eternal life, Martha, is actually all bound up in me personally. Do you believe that I am the only person who can grant you that and fulfill that promise? And Martha in verse 27, it's it's an amazing response of faith. This is one of the clearest responses in the whole Gospel of John. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. God in the flesh coming, the second person of the Trinity coming. You are the one who is coming into the world. All the Old Testament promises about the one who are coming, they're all wrapped up in you, Jesus. I believe that. Martha, sometimes we think of her about the one who is too busy doing things and Jesus rebuked her. And that was true. But we should remember Martha as a woman of great faith. What an example of faith. Well, Jesus' question there wasn't just for Martha, was it? It's for every one of us. So the questions he's asking me, the question he's asking you this morning, do you believe this? Some of us, and probably all of us at times, we want to use Jesus, right? We want to believe in Jesus to get stuff, right? I want this. I, I, I want a spouse who loves me. I want, I want that job. I want more happiness. I want... And so we, we really don't want Jesus, but we want to use him to get the stuff we want, right? And, and we all battle that and have to confess that and say, Lord, forgive me. I, because genuine faith, if, if we're genuine born again, we, we do want him.
But that's the question that he's asking us. How much do we trust and believe that he is enough? He's enough. Jesus probably will not do for us what he did for Mary and Martha, that is bring us or a loved one out of the grave back to life again once we've been married. But just like he said to Martha, he says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. These three implications are for every one of us that that can be the great constant in our life, that we are united with Jesus Christ, the Lord of life. That that will drive out the fear of death for us. And the joy of that inseparable relationship with him will carry us through and comfort us in every loss and suffering. And so when we read this, let's, let's not leave that question out there just for Martha and read it as something that happened 2,000 years. No, Jesus is speaking to us right now. Do you believe? We were talking in the class this morning, The Enemy Within, how it's easy to read the word impersonally, sort of depersonalize it, and it's out there. God wants us to read the word and personalize it. Married folks, think back to a time when romance was fresh and affections perhaps were more alive. And if you're not married, imagine. So imagine receiving a letter from your fiancé or your spouse they're a thousand miles away they're your dearest friend they're expressing to much to you how much they love you how they can't wait to see you again in a short time spend the rest of their life with you now none of us are reading that letter at the supper table with all kinds of conversations going on right we're not going to try to watch the 10 o'clock news and read this love letter at the same time Uh, we're going to grab that letter from the mailman and we're going to find a quiet spot and put everything else aside and read because as we're reading we're seeing the face of the one we love we're imagining their touch we're feeling the warmth of their smile because that letter isn't mere information it's not mere words on the page for others it might be but for us it's it's life it's a relationship it's a deeply personal as if as if for the moment they're right there with us and that's how God wants us to read his love letter to us. He wants us, so to speak, to see his face on the page here saying to you, to me, do you believe this? Do you really believe this about me? So right here in John eleven twenty seven, God is asking you, wherever you're sitting this morning, do you believe this? about Jesus, that he can be the great constant in your life, to drive out the fear of death, that the joy, that joy of that inseparable relationship will be enough for you in any and every loss until you see him face to face, brothers and sisters. You believe? Chris, if you'll come back, let's sing one more song here at the end. And um, I didn't tell you what song to sing, so choose one, um, Chris and the, and the band. So do you, you believe, brothers and sisters, that's what Christ is inviting us to, inviting Mary to. And he is sufficient. He is all we need 
So let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing one more time. Lord Jesus, we want to believe. We want you to do in us and for us and to us what is necessary to raise our faith, Lord, to rise above the the hurts and pains and disappointments and losses of this life to see we have a Savior who is enough in the midst of all this. And one day, one day, he will make all things new. And these momentary light afflictions will accomplish for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison because Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life and the Lord of all. So Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for Easter that we're coming upon, just that Jesus conquered death. He conquered our sin and has brought us into perfect relationship with you, Heavenly Father. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Crown him with